0: You are the face of color wellness programs. Like what moved you to create this? What is it part of your own story and your why? Is it something you saw? Like you could be in any space you want. Why this one?
1: Okay. Hey, so my background is in psychology. When I graduated college, I actually thought I would go back and further my clinical degrees. And I always thought I would like to be like a sports psychologist in its old traditional concept. And I got out and started working and I actually managed a crisis shelter for children and adolescents for five years. And so, you know, you get burned out doing that pretty quickly. Now that's intense work. Yeah. And so I conceptualized going back then, went and met with professors and y'all were like, well, you're kind of doing what you want to do now. And I was like, Okay. Then after five years, I just felt like I needed a total break, made a break, went in to the corporate world and found myself married and pregnant within a year. So it's great. Mm. So then I started my family. I stopped working and a couple of different things all happened between then and when my kids got to high school. One was I was fortunate enough to be able to offer a golf scholarship at VCU. So that really was a big connection in the collegiate athletic world for me. Then I actually got a not-so-good diagnosis, a health diagnosis that required surgery. And that put me on the path of going back and re-examining my life. Am I doing what I'm called to do? what were my passions? Am I living my right life? And I reflected back and that I always wanted to be at this intersection of athletics and mental health. At this time, my kids were both high school athletes. I did not know if it was going to lead to the collegiate world. And I really started, when I started looking at what my passions were and what my kids were doing, At the same time, I also, I've just always been a huge sports nut period, but I had season tickets to VCU basketball and there was an incident that happened with one of the kids and he got roasted for missing some last second free throw shots and was roasted on social media. And it really, really was the final prompt for me to dig in and go, what's this kid's support? What are the collegiate athletic worlds doing to support these athletes that because they're adults, they are not immune to getting roasted from the public. So when I dug in deeper, I realized that there were absolutely zero educational opportunities. That There may have been, you know, it was a rise on providing clinical supports, which is needed. Of course, you know, I believe that And that is great, but providing just clinical support for 18, 19, and 20-year-olds who had no idea what is mental health. I mean, you're asking them to make a decision to seek help when their information background is zero. And the reason I knew that is because I had one kid by that time who was heading to college and one that was still in 10th grade. And I was like, they don't know anything about mental health. They don't have that basic education. How do they know when to go seek help? And you throw in there all of the other issues that go along with being a collegiate athlete, you know, like not the BMOC, not wanting to walk into a campus counseling center because you don't want people to notice that. I mean, all of the things that wrap around that. So because of my relationships, because of the scholarship, I had a number of really, really good friends in the industry and I had conversations with them and they were like, B, hey, this is great. You need to do it. Got to go back to Brad's school. And so that's when I applied to VCU Center for Sport Leadership. I, of course, obviously got in. While I was there, I did student athlete research. I was really fortunate because once again, I relied on my relationships with a number of collegiate athletic directors and clinical sports psychologists and got a really good number of subjects for my study. And that was published last June, June 2020. Then when I graduated, I really kind of dug in and started building what we now have as Athlete Mental Health Link System. So that's my story. It's a little convoluted, but it's got a lot of factors from a different places that all came together to put me on the path that I'm on right now.
0: No, that's awesome. I love it. And thank you for sharing it. I mean, it's not convoluted. I mean, it's the human experience. I mean, we as providers of mental health services, whether it's education or the clinical realm, we have our own story. There's a reason why we're here. And so, I mean, I relate to a lot of your story. I mean, when we become moms, it changes things, right? Who we are and how we look at ourselves and our role, not just in our family, but then our role and impact that we wanna make on our world, on our society. So I love that, that your kids were involved with your process of figuring out your why and your purpose. And I really relate to the piece of like, well, what is mental health? I mean, I think these days, you know, we're trying so hard to normalize that conversation. We're trying super hard to destigmatize what old school mental health was. Like back in the day, it was like, oh, mental health, there's no differentiation between mental health and mental illness. Like you and I have talked about that. Like when you do your lectures and your education on mental health, how do you break that down for people?
1: So I personally believe that we all are on the mental health continuum. And that's the first piece. And I think that if we meet whomever I'm having a conversation with, whoever is in the audience, I start there, whether it's a parent, a coach, or an athlete or sport organization. You know, if we start with the fact that it's not just athletes, it's not just coaches, it's human beings that experience this continuum of mental health, then it breaks down that stigma of using the term mental illness. You and I've had this conversation. There's absolute a piece of mental health that is mental illness, but that is one piece. And I think people get accustomed to using that term or got accustomed to using that term. For example, world mental health or mental illness month. That's how it started 20 some years ago when that significant step came forward to kind of try to break down that barrier, they use the term mental illness. And oftentimes, our good buddy, Eric, always used to say, I'm trying to break the concept of one in five people, adults have mental illness, when five in five people, hashtag five in five people, everybody's on the mental health continuum. So, I completely align with Eric on that. And I utilize that in every single seminar I give because I believe that puts all of us in one category and that's the human being category. And that we all battle different issues and at any stage, day or time of our life, we can be anywhere on that continuum. And I think when we highlight that for our athletes and our coaches, then they kind of can maybe connect one to another and not be so separate from one another. So that's always where I start when we look
0: at the history of mental illness and that concept in the overall mental health. Absolutely. Let's break down the continuum a little bit more. I mean, you and I have discussed a little bit too, how I often talk about, and we've shared these discussion around mental health should be seen the same as physical health, mm. right? that we all have physical health. We all have are born into it. We have a disposition for it. We can develop it. We can be healthier or get injured and not be so healthy, then we recover. I mean, that's the same way I see mental health, right? Like there can be a stressor or a trigger that impacts our mental health, just like an injury for physical health. I mean, it can be seen as a mental injury, right? And then how do we respond will dictate how healthy we are on that continuum all the way from super solid mentally healthy to I'm mentally ill, but even within the mental illness or mental disorder piece, there's a continuum, right? Like I can have the physical diagnosis of diabetes, but if with proper treatment, diet, talking with my doctor and following my course of treatment properly, I can be very physically healthy and still have diabetes. Just like someone can still can have the bipolar disorder or schizophrenia in the old school mental illness or mental disorder, like you can still be very high functioning in those areas. So I think it's super cool to be talking about the continuum. So I think that's really great that you break it down like that. How do people respond to it? Like when you say parents, athletes, and coaches, what are the different responses to how you break it down?
1: I think depending on the audience. So I think our coaches respond pretty positively, you know, kind of like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But I think like when we gave our discussion in Bakersfield, you know, you could see the athletes kind of the light bulb go off because for them, it's also about them recognizing that their coaches are also on the mental health continuum. Yes. So it's got to be that two way. So that's an important piece. I think for our younger generation, so like when we do the high school pieces, when I do the high school pieces, I think our parents are surprised because I don't think that they're educated enough to understand the continuum. I think they're still in the mindset of one in five have mental illness and that the other four have no mental health issues. And so I think it's a good educational piece for them. But for our high school and our youth athletes, when they hear, hey, guess what? Your parents and your coaches and your teachers are all on the mental health continuum. I think Causes pause for them because then they have to realize that once again, we're all connected as human beings. And if we can always come back to that, I think that's really the important piece when they walk away from an educational seminar.
0: No, it's great. That humanity is super important. I mean, I think that it can really foster compassion and understanding and an empathy for the other person's situation, which is really, really important. Like no one is against each other. Like, we just need that understanding and that alignment.
1: We're all in this together. That's always how I end it. I'm like, just so you all know, we are all in this together.
0: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. What do you think? I mean, the recent news with this North Carolina rage coach, the Paul Riley, all of these sexual assault and abuse allegations. I mean, we can only guess who he is as a person and what he's gone through. Cause I believe people hurt if they have had their own healing. So I don't know anything about the guy. I only read like the sort of ramifications of the women. If you had a chance to like do a lecture on for coaches and he was in there, like what would be some important things that you'd want to make mention as in this humanity way, in this like, this is a man coaching women, young women who has a power relationship, power position that he exploited and hurt people that have long-lasting ramifications on their physical and mental health. How do we keep this from happening? Is there a way? How do we support coaches to understand that they might mean well or don't know any other way to be better, to be educated, to understand their impact on people? What do you think, Betsy?
1: Wow, that's a
0: loaded question, isn't it, Lisa? I know. First, let
1: me say this, is that I have had a number of collegiate athletes, specifically, reach out to me over the last five months, and you and I have had this conversation. Four out of the the five that have contacted me were females and described nothing sexual, but abusive situations with their coaches, where the coach is using coercion, or threatening behavior. I'm gonna take a piece of your scholarship away, just really unethical, immoral, and you know, maybe walk in the line of illegal actions in order to in their head get the best out of their athlete. Right. So I was not surprised to hear this, sadly, from the women's soccer league. Three, two of the four girls were soccer players, two were softball players. Isn't that interesting? So, what I do is our company utilizes the whole concept of a mental health playbook specifically for each group. So, the coach's mental health playbook, our job is to help coaches A, create it, B, add to it, and C, maintain it. And the way that they do that, so A piece of the mental health playbook for our company is called coaching with care. And part of that is that we have to educate our coaches on how you converse within a team dynamic and with your players. And what phrases are off the table and what do we replace them with? Here are positive phrases that you can utilize. One, for example, may be, I love how you dealt with the adversity out there on X, Y, and Z. Another way that coaches need to listen, coaches have to give tough concept, tough love, tough skills, and tough expectations. We all know that. It's not all roses and unicorns being a coach. And that's not what our athletes want. I get it. There is a level of motivation that has to happen, and sometimes it requires tough conversation. The question is, how do you give that information? Do you give that information in a way that is being heard and that can be absorbed by your athlete, or is it terms that are berating, that are angry, that are threatening, and coercive? That is a huge learning curve that we need to continue to educate our coaches on. And that's the whole coaching with care concept is really building the coaches terminology with positive framing and not negative framing and getting them to get paradigm shift because if we're looking at coaches that are 15 or 20 years in the game, that's a paradigm shift for them. Yes. And so
0: it's being heard by them and them embracing that paradigm shift. Awesome. I love it. I love that everybody has their own mental health playbook from an athlete's perspective and a coach's perspective. And that hurts my heart that those ladies who came forward with you were softball and soccer players because those are my sports. I mean, I never played softball, but my daughter does. And my heart is there now more than ever. I learned more about the game through watching her over the years than a mother of softball players should ever know. But I love it. And it's just super important. And I grew up playing soccer. So, and I have to look back and say that my favorite coach was a woman. Mm. I had men my whole career. My high school soccer coach, she treated us like humans. She really took on the importance of developing us as women, as humans, not just on the field. And I think that's so important. Coaches are like teachers, right? They have these humans and they're in charge of these humans for this section of their lives, for this time. And as you and I both know, a lot of the players go to their coaches for counsel, for I break up with my girlfriend or my boyfriend or like things off the field. They build a relationship and there's a huge responsibility for that. And so I think it's so great that you're able to address that. I think the language is super important because I think you've said coercion. I think there's a way they can communicate and humiliate people, especially if they don't know who they're speaking to. We got to coach to the athlete, coach to the human, right? There's not just one way to address the concepts of the tactics of their sport, but also how you explain it. You got to adapt to the human in front of you. Right. And so I think it's great that you're giving them tools to be able to do that. It's so funny. So in our coaching with Care seminar, we tell the
1: coaches the very first point is, I said, create a paradigm shift that
0: look at like your student athletes as humans first, athletes second. Love it. Yeah. I mean, I think the paradigm shift is huge. I mean, Paul Riley is older. And then like after this news came out, the Venezuelan women's national soccer team also came out like 24 of the ladies from that team over the years, the same coach, mistreating them, sexually harassing, abusing. I mean, do you think this is new, Betsy? Do you think this is a new thing? Or is it people coming out now? Like, what's your take on it? This kind of exploitation of the power dynamic between the coach and athletes, especially when it's a male coach and female athletes, there's a power already differentiation in there built in. And then you add the coach athlete situation. Do you think this is new? No,
1: not at all. I think what's new is that our younger generation have been empowered, thankfully, have been empowered and educated on what are appropriate boundaries. I think that they may not understand that it's a mental health concept. I think what they understand is that we've really gotten to a generation of educating, not just our girls, but our guys too, on trust your gut. If it doesn't feel right, talk to somebody. Where for you and my generation, it was suck it up and move on. Or dust off your shoulders. Put on your big girl panties that kind of stuff. And I'm sure there are times to do that, but there are absolutely times when it's not okay and you know it does not feel right. And we were taught to kind of push through that and not really address it. But now the generations after us become way more... Introspective and way more aware of things that in challenging authority, if it doesn't feel right, if it doesn't feel right, it's not okay. And even that being said, look how long it took for this group of people to get it done. Yeah. Even, and I think that's why I say I don't think that they conceptualized it as a mental health issue. I think sometimes they conceptualize it as. It's a not right thing. It's a not ethical thing. But I'm not sure that they conceptualize the depth of where it goes and how it affects them. And I think that's going to be ramifications that come for
0: years. Absolutely. Absolutely. There are short-term and long-term clinical ramifications psychologically and physically for these women. I mean, the fact that they've kept it quiet this whole time. The shame that's being built up, you know, the, the guilt, the confusion of you're supposed to trust someone, your coach, who's in charge of all these aspects, the travel, the team meetings, the meals, all these spaces that are off and on the field where there could be misconduct is just a lot. And I'd ask you a question. Yes, ask me a question. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you talked about the male coach to the female athlete. I've not done a lot of research on that. I'd be curious to hear kind of what your thoughts were on that,
0: that intrinsic gender power dynamic. The intrinsic gender power dynamic is that we live in a male-dominated society. We can see that in the jobs, who gets what job with equal opportunity, but not equal pay. Like I think sports are just a microcosm of the world, right? And so men have more access to things, especially white men. Than women, and then we bring in is it a woman of color? Is it an LGBTQI plus identified woman? Like, there's so many levels of it, and that kind of came up in the Venezuelan women's national team situation with the male coach sort of harassing and really abusing the LGBTQI ladies on that team. It's just who has power in the society and how that plays out, and then. If it's heterosexual male coach coaching women, there's an opportunity to like have discretion there and indiscretion as well, obviously. So like the boundaries are there. I'm always like talking to my daughter too about like she's had men coaches primarily. Like you get to speak up, use your voice. You're allowed to. Like if something feels uncomfortable, let us know, and then we can help out. You know, as a teenager, they're like, no, I don't want you to mess with anything. I'm like, well, like, I need to trust that you can speak for yourself Ben. You know, and and sometimes I don't care if it embarrasses you. This is about your safety. I've just had a couple of sessions with a female collegiate athlete now, and she's having a hard time with her coach. And we role modeled and coached through a conversation where you can speak to him and feel empowered. We role played it. We made some bullet points together. I processed how it felt to even practice with me. And she was like shaking. And it's like... We need those spaces and opportunities to empower our female athletes and our male. It's just a different dynamic and people need to recognize it for what it is. And I think that sexual harassment and sexual abuse, if we look at it from a physical place, can cause pain and then it can cause injury. If we don't address the pain and start the healing process, just like in a physical pain, it's going to become an injury. And then injury have more long-lasting effects physically and mentally. So if we keep putting those parallels side-by-side, side, mental health and physical health, the terms can interchange. So a lot of players play through their physical pain in games. We know that. But when it gets to the point where like if I keep playing and this becomes an injury and this becomes maybe a career-ending injury, like the athlete needs to have some say in that and not just be used as someone who can produce on the field of play, or whatever that might be, the court or the ice. Like again, come back to the humanity, Betsy, right? Like these are humans who need to be able to fulfill and interact and function in other areas of their life. And when this area in the coach-athlete perspective and their sport, they can easily fall out of love with their sport. They can easily make decisions that if they had the right support, then be different. So it's so important, the work that you're doing with the coaches. So I really, really, really appreciate that. I mean, it comes back to relationships, which you started in your opening, how important relationships are to foster them, to nurture them, like we've done. (laughs) Like now we're about to embark on some really incredible work around NAIA collegiate schools and the junior colleges and being able to bring this important information, education, clinical interventions, sport performance intervention to these athletes that aren't as big as NCAA but there's humans too. They're navigating their own sort of terrain here. Like what's most exciting for you in our strategic partnership, being able to do that, continue with Cal State, Bakersfield and jump into these other populations. Like what keeps you up at night with excitement?
1: (laughs) You know, I love the fact that we created a system and a program that can be adapted to smaller institutions um, a large number of our athletes are playing in these smaller institutions, and their mental health and their needs are equally as important as somebody that's an OSU or Michigan or Florida State. Even more so, honestly, and the reason why I say that is because those large institutions, I would be willing to bet, almost 90, if not 99% of B1 schools have a campus counseling center. Mm-hmm. Very few percentage-wise have a campus counseling center that is at a JUCO level or potentially at an NAIA. If they have one, it's probably so understaffed that their waiting list is weeks. We know the waiting list is long at the big schools too. So I love the fact that these conferences, these huge nationwide associations have reached out and have said, we want to provide something that meets the needs of our athletes where we are A, educating them, B, educating our coaches, providing some sort of, policies and procedures, some guidelines that help them and their coaching staff moving forward and set up boundaries, expectations, as well as protocols for mental health issues. And then being able to provide for them a personal clinical relationship with somebody from act Mindset, that's the coup de grace right there. It's not just giving them the information. It's ultimately giving them the help that they need to get to where they need to go. It's such a comprehensive program because it can't be just about educating. It can't be just about having protocols. It also has to be about breaking down stigma. It has to be about getting our athletes and ushering them to seek the help that they need. And if we can provide that option for them, then we are comprehensive. We're letting them know what they need to be looking for and then who they can go to in order to get the help that they need. I just think that's, first of all, I love that these major nationwide associations are not just embracing it, but are seeking to find that. And then basically putting their money where their mouth is. Done. So that is very exciting for me.
0: How about you? Same. I mean, there's an opportunity here to continue to mold and shape the future of athlete mental health, to shape coaches' mental health because they're symbiotic. Even though there's that power play, there's so much that they get from each other. If you sat down with a coach and really picked their brain about like why they do this, I bet you they'd start crying. It's so personal and important, and we got to make sure that happens with boundaries, with expectations, with open communication. Yes, I think that these smaller schools, there's an opportunity. Their mental health is just as important as anybody else, just because they don't play for, yeah, you said OU or the NCAA or whatever. We can't miss them. We can't afford to miss them. So in conjunction with you, I mean, we tease a lot like we're... And people in our circle tease each other like we're like both sides of a coin. We're like each other's version. Like the passion and the energy that we bring together is so important. The engaging, our stories, how they bring us to this space. I mean, it's just it's super exciting. Super exciting. Like I wish there were 18,000 of me. But the cool thing is with the AF mindset, you know, we're building out a team. My goal is along with yours to be in, there has to be a clinician and or sport performance specialist in every state that there's an NIAA school or a JUCO school. There has to be. Or else we're missing the mark. There's a need and a demand. We have to respond. We have to.
1: Lisa, I will tell you through my research, and I know that you'll know this for fact as well, but the number of athlete trained clinicians is slim. We. And I know we both are a part of the Alliance of Social Workers in Sport, and that's one of their goals as well. strong goal of theirs is to increase the amount of athlete-trained clinicians there are. But, I mean, like, for example, I'm in Virginia, and athlete-trained clinicians that I am aware of are not in Central Virginia. And the ones that are are affiliated with institutions and are not doing private practice anymore. Mm-hmm or they do multiple different things, and this is just a side gig. And we know, all research shows that our athletes, A, want to be seen by clinicians that were either past athletes or are completely committed and trained in dealing with athletes because of all of the nuanced differences for that athlete population. So, I'm so excited about you building that and I think that as you continue to build that mindset that we need to keep promoting this whole concept of clinical care no matter whether it's psychologists or LCSWs whatever they are to get in and dig in and really get trained on that athlete piece
0: absolutely yes the alliance for social workers and sports you know super proud to be a part of them the social work field is becoming more and more the appropriate discipline to deal and cope and like help the athletes cope with their mental health. Because we social workers are trained to see the athlete, the human in their environment in all the aspects, not just the intrapsychic functioning and, and situation there. It's how does their environment that they grew up in, that they're playing in, that they're going to school in, their, all their multiple identities... Gender, sexual orientation, race, ethnicity, social justice advocate—how do all of these impact who you are and how you need to be communicated to, and how you communicate to, to be the best that you can be in your sport and in life? I mean, I think that's interesting knowledge. I didn't know that piece about the private practice part. I think that ASWIS is also Betsy. I think you know, doing a social work certificate program where people can get trained who are interested in the field who might not have the experience to get that training, to get that expertise, which is super important. My, you know, AF mindset, I wanna create a support system for the clinicians and practitioners, not just the athletes in that they are supported in their professional development, that they get an opportunity to work with these populations and have access to these athletes to do good work and to serve where they might not have had the chance otherwise. I think there's so many in my interviews and informational conversations with people they're wanting to do the work, but just don't know where. They don't know where their in is to help. And so with Ath Mindset, along with you know, Cutler Wellness Programs, we're going to be able to provide that. And that's huge. For the future of athlete mental health, we have to have practitioners to be able to serve. And so what better way to learn than to do it hands-on and to be in there and do that with support and training and oversight. So it's like, yeah, super exciting, super exciting.
1: I'm excited for what you all are doing and where you all are going. So I'm all in on that. Of course, you know that.
0: Yes, yes. You know, I do want to ask. Tell us. I mean, one big part of your athlete mental health link program is the app. How does the app help? I mean, it's like okay, there's all these apps out here nowadays, and it's like which one do I use? Do I even use it? But you've gone through a lot to design yours to get it all up to speed in so many levels. Like, tell us a little bit about how an athlete and or coach or administrator possibly could use the app and what does it do well yes
1: it's taken 2 years to kind of develop and to go through pilot programs and all those kinds of things the app is called the athlete mental health link mobile app and you can get it on either of the platforms the whole goal in the beginning was to provide mental health resources and mental health support and mental health education it has done that, but then we've added a new piece called It's Athlete Advisor, and that is the self-efficacy piece where the athlete gets a daily notification and they go in and take a nine-question overall mental health and physical health and well-being, nine questions daily, and it gives them an idea of where they stand and their training going for that day. So it's a 24-hour self-efficacy questionnaire, which is great. It really takes the athlete to the next level. The original piece was about providing them resources in the palm of their hands. It's a white-labeled app. There's a free version. Everybody can use it. Anybody can use it. But there are pieces that are not accessible unless you are um, part of a branded version. And that branded version means that it is in your sport organization's colors, logos. But in addition to that is at sport organizations, mental health resources specific for that athlete. And that could mean if it's a collegiate program, it could be their campus counseling center and they can connect and make an appointment immediately out of the app. It can be perhaps a personalized relationship with somebody, a provider from AthMindset. And it's also community, so that they are also community mental health resources as well. So the personalization and the branded version do give you a little higher use, but that doesn't discount the free version. Part of the educational piece is that we have statistics in there, and we also have 16 lists of signs and symptoms of common issues that athletes go through. Then we also have uh, called Mental Health Resources dashboard button. And that has 22 immediately connect to mental health, either national hotlines or actual support services. So the very first one is the National Suicide Hotline. And that athlete can literally click on that button through the app and get to the National Suicide Hotline. So it's original. Function was education, resources, and supports. We've now bumped it up to self efficacy. And our next stage is that we will also have an admin view so that our training staff or our clinical staff that are assigned to certain sport organizations will be able to go in and, with permission from those athletes, be able to check in on them and see how they're doing. So that's what the app does. Obviously, it has more functionality if you're associated with a sport organization. But the free version is, I'd like to say we designed it so the high school athlete in Virginia, the college athlete in Texas, and the parent in California all get to use the app the same way.
0: No, it's great. I love how accessible it is. I love the self-efficacy part that that's like kind of practice of self-reflection and checking in, which a lot of our athletes don't have time or think they can stop and do that. Like when I ask my athletes, how are you feeling right now? And they give me three emotions. They're like, "Mm, uh, uh." like the time to like check in, enter your answers and then look at it over time can be really, really helpful for their own self-awareness and knowledge and for anyone who's on their team to help them. So I think it's really great and it's community-based because there's all those resources there. You have podcasts and articles and different things like that on there too, right? I do. That is a piece of the support structure. Okay, awesome. Yeah.
1: And this will be in there. But there's a number of pieces from Lisa Bontasumi that are also in that app. But yeah, I include podcasts, articles, interesting information, Social media connections or maybe some popular, positive the intersection of athletes and mental health are all in there. So
0: Great, great. Yeah. Well, as we wind down, let's say, like, what message, or what would you like to say to any athlete out there, collegiate level, who is wondering if they're going through a mental health crisis or don't know where to turn? Like, what would you say to them as a human?
1: Well, first I'd say you are not in it by yourself. And I think that's the first key is that they have to know that there are others that are out there and there are others that have walked that journey and have gotten resolution from that journey. But that being said, the journey's not easy. You have to be committed to it. And that's kind of what we outline in the app when we tell them what does seeking help look like is that you have to be committed to the journey, just like you were committed to your athletic journey to get you where you are. It's hard work for you to get there, but you didn't give up and you had to walk through it in order to be where you are. Same thing on your mental health journey. So I would tell them that. And then I would let them know that there are people that are there to walk the journey with them. And that all they need to do is reach out. They can reach out. To us, they can reach out to Ath Mindset, to Lisa Bontasumi. There's a number of places that they can turn to that can provide them not just the clinical supports, but the emotional and just that intrinsic, you're okay. It's okay to not be okay. And we're here with you. That's what I would tell them. And I think for specifically, we started with those collegiate athletes that reached out to me and talked about their struggles and that all of them was coach related. That's actually a lot more common than I think that they understand. And that is important for them to know that my company and our strategic partnership is about that pivotal relationship between coaches and athletes and that That's where we have to start, honestly. And sport organizations need to hear that. It has to start at the coach's relationship with the athlete, just period. That's just where it has to start. And until they start investing in educational programs for their coaches, whether it's the high school, youth league, or the collegiate level, it has to start with the coaches. So I would want the athletes to know that we are invested in changing the systematic situation of mental health for athlete mental health. It has to be a systematic change, it has to start with sport organizations and coaches, because that's really the foundation to give our athletes the positive emotional support that they need to in order to promote themselves going forward.
0: Love it. Love it. I know that we could talk for hours and days into the late night about all this. I really appreciate your time and your energy and just everything you've said today. And Thank you for joining me here today. I really appreciate you.
1: Well, Lisa, you and I are definitely, I would say, yin and yang in the sense that we fit together very complementary. And I think that our journey has just begun one to the other. And I feel like this is a relationship that is far beyond professional. And I really care about you deeply. And I love the person that I know and that I see. And I am thankful that you are a piece
0: of my world. Oh, thank you. Don't make me tear at the end. I wish I could give you a big hug. I appreciate you so much. Glad to be a part of it.